You know, I wonder how many of us watch a video like that and we see the different characters who we would think are the heroes of faith, right? Like we, we would look at that and we would say that, uh, man, that person right there, that, that's someone that I, I remember hearing a lot about in, in, uh, in Sunday school maybe. Maybe you've heard a lot about it in groups. Maybe you can even recall different times where you've heard about various Bible characters throughout the scriptures. And uh, you can sit there and you can think, man, it doesn't always seem like it's always just the heroes the, the heroes of faith that get all kind of the playtime throughout the narrative of the scriptures. But really, throughout the scriptures, what we find is these hidden figures. They don't get much screen time. Their stories are not normally told very often. In fact, many of their names are very obscure. You've never even heard of their names. They're hidden in the background of the pages of history, and yet their stories, though, are impactful, and their stories are in, influence actually culture and generations to come. They're the hidden figures. With over 66 books throughout the Scripture, covering thousands of years of history, the Bible makes mention of, of hundreds of people. I mean, when you think of heroes of faith, some of us would think of like characters like Abraham. We would think of another one like Jacob or Moses or Samson or, or Esther. We think of David. We think of Paul, the Apostle Paul. I mean, you think of the 12 disciples. Like You think of these different individuals throughout the Scripture who we've, we've learned a lot about. And these stories are those of great faith and great heroes throughout, but it's the lesser known ones throughout the scripture that actually I think have had an impact that goes beyond even what some of those heroes of faith have had. And this series is all about telling the story of the hidden figures. By definition, the word hidden would be this. It's being out of sight or not readily available. Obscure or unexplained or undisclosed. Think about that for a moment this morning, this idea of being obscure. What would it look like for you and I to be obscure? Well, throughout every weekend when we gather together, there are people who are obscure. They're not the upfront people, but yet they make so many key things happen throughout our church. I think of Ruby Stump, who's right down here, and the impact that Ruby has each and every week behind the scenes, yeah. Ruby is one of my staff here and has been serving at this church for a very long time and has served multiple pastors. And when I love hearing parts of Ruby's story because Ruby throughout the years has constantly been growing even though in many ways the way she supports is never up front. In fact, I think it may be hard to get her to go up front and to kind of deliver some of those things because she loves serving behind the scenes. She is one of those hidden figures. But have you ever felt out of sight? Have you ever felt unexplained? When I was a kid, I struggled a lot with being unknown and out of sight. <laughs> I wanted to be noticed by others, and I was a part of... A, program called Royal Rangers as a young man. Does anyone in the house remember Royal Rangers? 
All right, a few of them. Come on. In fact, if you were a Royal Ranger, you were either in Rangers or you were a Ranger leader. Go ahead and raise your hand. Come on, just hold it up. Yeah, come on. There's a few of them out there. Yeah. You know, Royal Rangers, some of you are like, I don't even know what Royal Rangers is. Basically, it is the Christian, the Assemblies of God's version of Boy Scouts is in many ways. But even more so than that, the idea was to get men investing into young boys. And those young boys being mentored by men who would teach them about things outdoors, teach them about um, not only the outdoors, but teach them about spiritual things, and actually see a young man grow into the young man that God has called them to be. And I would say this, that, that when we had things like that happening, we didn't have all this gender confusion around us. Now some would say this, some would say, well, Pastor Brian... The reason is, is because you are suppressing that. No, I think basically what we need to continue to do is to remind people that God knew what he was doing when he created you. He knew exactly what he was doing. And yes, you have your own personality. And yes, you have your own thoughts. And yes, that is how God made you. But God made you to be man and made you to be woman. Things that as a young man I thought would never be something. I, I always thought your sexuality, like your gender, would always be an absolute. I was like, there's one way to know if you're a guy and there's one way to know if you're a girl. And it has to do with the basic hardware that the Lord has given you. Can anyone in the house, right? And so as a young man I always thought there, that'll never be something. And now I'm living in a culture right now where literally... We are changing even the identity of how God created us. And there's confusion all around. And I think about what Royal Rangers and other programs like that were all about. They were all about teaching young men to be the men that God has called them to be. In a fatherless generation, they were being called to something greater. But back to my story. <laughs> For me as a young man wanting to be known, I worked really hard at making various achievements. Now, I was a part of Straight Arrows, Buckaroos, Pioneers, Trailblazers, FCF, and um, even uh, the, uh, it wasn't Sea Rangers, but it was uh, uh, Trail, anyways, yeah, Trail Rangers, Trail Rangers at the end. And I was a part of every part of Real Rangers. I was this far from getting my gold medal of achievement. Just, I mean, like, I just had a few more to go, and, and uh, I just, I didn't get that. And, but I remember as a young man, as a straight arrow, doing really well. I remember I got all of my awards, everything I could as a straight arrow. When I became a buckaroo, I had a new commander, and uh, that new commander began kind of asking of things, and it was getting a little bit harder for me, and I was struggling a little bit more as a buckaroo, and and uh, I remember getting into that age, and then all of a sudden, as a pioneer, uh, the requirements for achievements got even more and more difficult. And I had a leader who was really, really hard on us as a young man. And so when I began to feel like I was failing in other areas and wasn't able to achieve and was being forced to the shadows... I decided I'm not going to be forced to the shadows, and since I can't be promoted, you know, because when I was younger in Straight Arrows and Buckaroos, they, they were always like, oh, here's one of our shining stars, Brian, and, and I would stand up there, and I had my little red Royal Ranger vest, and then when I was a Buckaroo, I had my yellow handkerchief that I would wear every week. Like, I remember those things, and I remember the achievement moments, 
But all of a sudden, when I was no longer being recognized for my achievements, though I was working really hard and had a leader who really didn't, really didn't believe in me, I decided to give that leader a run for his money. And so I said, if you're not going to notice me because of achievement, you're going to notice me because of behavior. And I became that kid in the Royal Ranger outpost who was always trying to crack jokes, always trying to do different things, getting in trouble. I would make, I mean, I would, I just, every stupid thing you could think of as a boy, like I was that kid. And so that means I got in trouble a lot. I almost got kicked out of Royal Rangers as a young man. Uh, which is really hard. I visited the outpost commander a lot, and the outpost commander was like the principal kind of in my mind, and he oversaw everything, and I, would, I remember many nights walking around with the outpost commander, and he would look at me, and he'd say, Brian, you can't say anything, and he'd be walking over here, and all of a sudden I'd be like, <laughs> I'd make some noise like that, and I'd be like, was that you? And then he would just, oh man, he'd give it to me. And, but I just, in my mind, it was like, I don't want to be the hidden figure. I don't want to be the guy behind the, story, behind the scenes. I wanted to be the one who was well-liked, who others looked to. And so I did. Pulling all the different stunts and all the things that happened caused me to get to a place, though, where I recognized that there had to be something more to just getting in trouble and making achievements. And the Lord began doing things in my own heart and my own life and I remember as a young man having an encounter with Jesus. How many know that one encounter with Jesus can change everything? And I remember when the Lord got a hold of my heart and began to speak some truth into my life and saying, Brian, I have a greater calling for you. Not knowing that at a young age, in fact, shortly after birth, my dad dedicated me to the Lord and said, Brian will be in ministry. He'll be doing your service. I was a really sick young man and and a sick young baby, and my dad said, God, I'll make a, a bargain with you, you know, because isn't that what we always do with God? I, I wonder how many times God's up there laughing. Oh, we got to make a bargain here. <laughs> how about you just ask? But hey, if you're going to give me your son, hey, that's fantastic. And so the Lord, he did, and so my dad calls it the, the Lion King moment where he held me up as a baby to the Lord and said, God, he's yours if you'll heal him. He'll, I'll commit him to ministry. But my dad never told me that. And it wasn't until an encounter with Jesus where the Lord began to speak to my heart and began to really stir inside of me this desire to, to be okay with being a hidden figure. Because so many times we want to be the hero of faith, right? We all want to be the hero of faith. But sometimes what God's calling us to do is to be the hidden figure. Could you imagine if everyone was the hero? What if everyone was the hero? Then you'd be like, well, there's, the hero wouldn't have much impact on the story if everyone was the hero. But so many times that's what we want. We want to be the hero, but there are hidden figures that are all behind the scenes that are being, and listen, when I look at the 75 years of this church, I think of how many hidden figures who have behind the scenes been pouring into young people through Royal Rangers, through Missionettes. I think about in the early years and back in, in whatever they called the kids ministry back there, Adventureland or whatever, something like that. But, but in those days, they would pour into kids, and there was 600 kids here throughout the week and bus programs that were going. There was a lot of hidden figures that made those moments happen. 
Why? Because the whole idea was if we could get kids to encounter just one encounter with Jesus, just one moment, we know that can change their entire life. And some of you are in this room today because a hidden figure poured into your life years ago in a ministry and began to believe in you and began to call something out of you and introduced you to Jesus and it changed everything. As I read across the pages of scripture, I'm always drawn to the hero of the story. And many times when I hear the hidden figure's story, I kind of look over it. Because I just want to get to the hero. But it's really the hidden figure that allows the hero's story to even take place. Because many times there's a hidden figure who sets the stage for the hero to then arrive. It's the hidden figure who behind the scenes sets the stage for the miracle to take place. And we love the miracle, we love the hero, but we forget about the hidden figure. And as I read about these incredible great men and women of faith whose stories are told in great detail, I wonder if we could hear just a little bit of the stories of those who weren't that. And so that's what this series is all about, is looking at the hidden figures throughout Scripture whose stories are probably unknown, whose names you probably haven't heard, and that's what we're going to dig into. Ever heard of a guy in the Bible named Ehud? Anybody? Ehud. Raise your hand. We got one. Anyone else? Two. Ehud. Three. Anyone else? Three. Okay, so he's a hidden figure in the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Judges. Judges chapter 3. And while you're turning over there, let me kind of set the stage for you for a moment. Um, really, Ehud's story, in many ways, you could relate it to a modern-day James Bond type story. Which is, in a way, you go... If he's like a James Bond type story, then why have we not heard his name yet? It's interesting. Because the hidden figures many times, though they have a great impact on the culture and on setting the stage for generations to come, his story that unfolds on the pages here is much like a James Bond type movie. His story is really cool to read about because it greatly impacts the children of Israel who find themselves under oppressive rule by Eglon, the king of Moab. So let's look at um, this hidden figure from the scriptures, Judges chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 12, so if you don't have the scripture, it'll be up here on the screens. But Judges chapter 3, verse 12 says this, and the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's interesting how many moments this happens throughout the scriptures. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. It says, and the Lord strengthened, which is interesting. The Lord strengthened the enemy of Israel. Could it be that God is more interested in your salvation than he is your comfort? I know we always love to think about the comfort of Jesus and everything, but could it be that, that Jesus is more interested in you encountering him and you having a heart towards him than having a heart that's comfortable but yet away from him? 
So don't always take the moments of oppression and things that come at you as moments of, oh, that's just an attack from the enemy. Sometimes maybe what you need to do is evaluate your life just for a moment and just say, is there sin inside of my life? Is there things inside of me right now that I need to deal with? Is, is there something the Lord's trying to speak to me in this moment? And as you do that evaluation, allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And if the Holy Spirit says, click, you're all good, thumbs up, then, then move forward and recognize it's the enemy and it's an attack and call it what it is. But sometimes when we evaluate, what we realize is, oh, I got some junk in the trunk that I need to deal with. I got some stuff in my life that if I don't deal with it, the Lord is more interested in me dealing with that than he is my comfort and my provision and all those things. Because why? Did God still have a plan for the children of Israel? Yes. But what you're going to see as this unfolds is that God's plan actually is utilizing hidden figures all the time. Back to the scriptures. It says, strengthen Eglog, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. So the king that the Lord strengthens goes and grabs other tribes of people and says, hey, come with me. We're going to take care of Israel. It says they took possession of the city of Palms. Now this would have been a great oasis for the children of Israel. This would have been something that would have been a prized possession for them. All, everything they needed would have been there in, in the city of Palms. It was, it was, it was kind of like a I wouldn't say it's a resort, but basically water was great there. I mean, everything that, was, that you needed could be found there in the city of Palms. And so they take that from them. It says this, And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, for how many years? Eighteen years. Why did the children of Israel have to serve someone else for 18 years? Because the evil they had done. Was it because God was just a, not a good God and he had turned his back on them? No, it was because the people had done evil in the sight of the Lord. There is cause and consequence that happens in our lives. Yes, God is good. And yes, God loves. And yes, God forgives. Yes, yes, yes. But at the same time, he desires for people who are holy and a people who are righteous and a people who are without spot and without blame. The Lord is looking for those. He's looking among us and he's saying, throughout my church, where are those people? So prior to this 18 years of oppressive rule, what we see is the children of Israel had experienced freedom for over 40 years. 40 years, the scriptures tell us right prior to that, and you can look at it later, it said 40 years of rest. But what was happening was, is in that 40 years of rest, then they got to a place where they were loving God, all those things, and then they finally turned their backs back on God, and when they turned their backs on God, that's when the oppressive rule came in. If you look at back at verse 4, actually, so you can flip back a few, it says they were testing, they were for the testing of Israel to know whether Israel would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. The reason why I bring you back to that is because I want to make note in the midst of this story that we're reading that God does test his people. 
He's testing the Israelites because he wants to know whether they will obey the commandments of the Lord. Will they stay true to what he's called them to? And so God has placed them among all these people groups. He's placed them among them. Why? Because the Lord wants us to influence culture, not to allow culture to influence us. That was a great place to say amen. So let me say it again. I know it's a 9 o'clock gathering, so maybe some of you guys are a little tired. We're coming out of fasting, so some of you are like, I'm, I'm on brain fog, Pastor Brian, still. Like, that's all good, all right? Here we go. God has called us to not be influenced by culture, but to actually influence the culture that's around us. Come on now. And some of you are still like, Pastor Brian, I'm just foggy. It's okay. So back to verse 15, it says this, And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord God raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. Isn't it interesting? I love how how the scripture points it out. He was a left-handed man. Come on, any left-handed people in the house, raise your hand. Raise your left hand. There you go, a few of you. My son's a lefty, and so he uh, does that. He uses that left hand, and so... Um, lefties in the house say, whoop, whoop. Okay, all right, good. So you're out there. Um, it's interesting to note, though, that it wasn't until the children of Israel finally called out to God that deliverance was coming. It says, then the people of Israel did what? Cried out to the Lord. What would that mean? They're praying. They're talking to the Lord. In fact, just a few verses earlier in verse 8, it says this, and the people of Israel served Cushman eight years, but when, notice again, but when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them, Orthenial, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So every time the people of God would call out to the Lord, he would give them the deliverer. Do we notice something there? Every time the people of God would turn from evil and cry out to the Lord, he would send a deliverer to the people. Why? Because God hears our prayers. He hears the prayers even of the hidden figures that are among us. Last week I had one of those hidden figures, one of those behind-the-scenes type people. Um, They approached me and, and she just... She just has an incredible, credible spirit. And if you, if you know her, you would know her by her spirit. Like when she comes up, she just, she has this sweet gentleness and she'll come in and, and she always has an encouraging word. She always is encouraging others around to pray and to seek God. And she does not only that in the church, but she does that. She's involved politically. She's helping others and just really just an encouraging person. And that person is Emma Jenkins. And uh, she's one of those hidden figures who has been here at this church for, well, I was just talking with her husband before the gathering, and, and basically 35 years she's been a hidden figure 
who's been sitting there just loving people and serving. And they were some of the first greeters here at the church. And then, and then they're still serving as greeters here at the church. She was serving. I saw it right back over here. And John was over here. And, and, and they're just serving. They're like, what can we do? How can we help? They lead a group here at our church because it's a man. We see how relationships are important. So Pastor Brian will lead a group. And they're constantly submitting, constantly saying, what can we do to lift up the vision of the house? What can we do to help see people take one step closer? And Emma came to me last week, I think it was last week, and she said, you know, Pastor Brian, she said, um, the scriptures say in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And she said, Pastor Brian, she said, what's happening in New York with the late-term abortions and all that's happening around this country, she said, we need to be people of God who turn to him, who humble ourselves, who pray and seek the face of God. And then the scripture, she said, it says, Pastor Brian, that if we do that, that then, then God will heal, and then God will forgive, then God will do something. And she said, Pastor Brian, can you, can you just encourage the church body to do that? And I sit there, and I think in my mind, thank you, God, for hidden figures like Emma Jenkins, who would behind the scenes continue to serve week after week, would continue to be here and pour into others, and yet at the same time would say, Pastor Brian, we got to pray. There's wickedness around us. I see it, but we got to be people of prayer. She is one of those hidden figures. So back to our passage here in Judges. Verse 15, it continues to read this when we're talking about um, Ehud right here. It says, the people of Israel sent tribute by him. To Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubic in length, and he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. Now, I was doing a little bit of research on that. A cubic would be around 18 inches. It would be like a small dagger like you see here on the screen. So it would be something small that he would have gotten and prepared for and he would have placed it on his right thigh and strapped it on and I just want you to get a picture of this right here it says he presented the tribute to Eglon the king of Moab it's interesting how descriptive the scriptures is now Eglon was a very fat man thank you very much but it says now Eglon was a very fat man and it says when Ehud had pre finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. Now, the, the tribute, you know, many commentators said it probably would have been some food, various exotic foods probably. It probably would have had some gold and some silver or different precious metals, different things that would have been a tribute that the children of Israel were paying to a foreign king. So they're presenting this to this foreign king. So then he begins to leave, and he leaves... And I want you to picture this. He's, he leaves and he gets to a place where he is actually at a place uh, where there's other idols, other false gods that have been put up and erected. 
And it says this, but he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal. So here he's left. Ehud has left the presence of the king. He gets to the place where the uh, idols are. And he says this. It says, I have a secret message for you, O king. So he sends that to one of the servants and says, hey, I have a, I have a special message for the king. And, and this is what the scripture says. It says, he commanded silence and all his attendants went out from his presence. So now Ehud comes back into the presence of the king. It says, as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose, so this is the king, he arose from his seat, and Ehud reached with his left hand. So remember, he's left-handed. So the king approaches him, they're up on the rooftop. He, he gets down like this because the king's coming because that's what you would do. You would bow in reverence to the king. Remember, he's left-handed, dagger in the right, right? And it says this, And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh, and thrust it into the belly. Now this is where it kind of gets even more comical. The hilt also went in after the blade. So that... That's the handle and everything. Went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. Are you getting a visual right here? Like this big old guy, and oh, you got my arm. Give it back. You know, like, it says, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly. So he, he literally, boom, strikes it with such force and in that he just leaves the sword inside of the king's belly. It says, and dung came out, which is really gross. And um, then it says this, Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. And when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he is relieving himself in the closet of the cool chamber. What in the world? <laughs> Maybe there's a reason he's a hidden character, right? Like, it's like, what pastor's going to sit there and talk about this from the stage? This guy. <laughs> and it's funny because you sit there and you read this story and you just go, man, what in the world? So it says this, they waited till they were embarrassed. What, what that's meaning is, is basically the servants were waiting outside because they were like, all right, if we go in and the king is having an issue right now, and he's sitting on the throne, the different type of throne up there, and we walk in on him, we're going to be embarrassed. But somebody finally says, hey, it's been too long. I mean, maybe he needs some help. Maybe you got to be the guy says, but when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and they opened them, and there lay their de Lord dead on the floor. Verse 26. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Syrah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill in the country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. 
So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men. Not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. If you were to keep reading, what do you think caused the unrest to once again come? The people did evil in the sight of the Lord <laughs> and turned from the Lord. And wickedness came back upon their land. I mean, literally, it's just like it is the story of the children of Israel back and forth. And you may be sitting here going, well, Pastor Brian, that's awesome. Ehud, okay, great. Okay, I see the whole James Bond style type thing, though that would kind of be a little crazy in the movie. But, but still, you can see all that. And you may say, Pastor Brian, what, what can we take away from here? Well, here I have five things that we can take away from this hidden figure. Here's the first thing. You can take notes, write this down. He saw the need. He saw the need. The second is, is that he took inventory. He took inventory. The third is that he created a plan. The next is, is that he persuaded others. And the last one is this, is he pursued his purpose. He saw the need. He took inventory. He created a plan. He persuaded. He persuaded others to be involved in the plan, and then he pursued his purpose. He knew what God had called him to do. So let's talk about that first one. He saw the need. I wonder for how many of us do we see the needs that are around us. See, that's what hidden figures do. Hidden figures are those who are always seeing the needs. It's like they see a need, and they go and they fill it. They just take care of it. They're not someone who looks at it and says, oh, there's a need there, oh, that, I, I don't know, someone else will take care of that. No, they see the need and they fill it. They don't wait, they don't sit there and question, they're like, oh, there's a piece of trash on the floor, I might as well pick that up. Oh, this is happening over here, I, I might as well take care of this. Our church is filled with people who see a need and act as hidden figures. Two weeks ago, I, I ran into one of those uh, hidden figures, another one of those. And uh, it just brought such a smile to my face. It was, it was between the gatherings, so it was right after the 9 o'clock gathering. And uh, I was coming out of the sanctuary, and I was going right through those, those doors over there, the exit door over there, and uh, was going to go through the hallway and trying to get out here to the front to greet people. But as I was going, I, I intercepted and, and kind of came in contact with someone who was one of those hidden figures, and his name is Grant Rossman. And uh, if you know Grant, Grant has just an incredible, incredible heart. And, and what Grant had in his hand at that moment was he had a bunch of cleaning supplies, and he was coming out of the men's restroom. He was literally in the bathroom cleaning the bathrooms between the gatherings because he's one of those hidden figures who says, I see a need in here, and I need to take care of it. And he, was just, he, just, he just took care of it. No, I didn't ask him to do that. I don't think anyone else asked him. He just saw a need and said, I'm going to take care of that. And I, I thought in my mind, man, Grant, like, that's incredible. And you think about Grant and his wife Barb and how long they served here at Bethany. And just God has done amazing things. And Grant used to be on the board here. And in many ways, you look at Grant and you go, man, he, he's not one of those who wants to be a hero of faith, but he is one of those incredible hidden figures who's behind the scenes serving, who's behind the scenes doing amazing things. In fact, would you just give Grant just a big hand just real quick? 
What you don't maybe know about Grant is Grant was the first person who ever came up to me and said, Pastor Brian, I want to pray with you on Sunday mornings. When I first came three years ago, Grant would wait outside of my office every morning on Sunday and would stand right outside and would just wait for me to come out. And when I would come out, he would say, Pastor Brian, can I pray with you real quickly? And I said, absolutely. And Grant would grab my hands and he would pray over me and pray over our church. And then he would look at me and say, you got me praying all week. I'm going to keep praying for you, Pastor Brian. Is there anything else you need? And I'd say, man, no, Grant, I'm, I'm great. Thank you so much. And Grant did that week after week after week after week after week after week. A hidden figure who saw a need. It wasn't until I started finally praying with the rest of the staff and all that that Grant Finally, it was no longer there outside of my door because the need had been filled with me praying with other pastors on our team. See, hidden figures are those who see the needs that are around us. I wonder what would happen if we stopped ignoring the needs around us and just started seeing them and then doing something about it. What would happen in our church? What would happen in our families? What would happen in our marriages? What would happen in our workplaces? What would happen in our community? Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, we're encouraged. It says this, it says, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Listen, God does not overlook the things that you and I are doing. As the writer in Hebrews is reminding us, God sees the things that we do. He sees the things and, that are hidden. He sees the, the, the needs in our lives and he looks to you and I and he says, Listen, you may be a hidden figure. But I have great plans in store for you. God sees what you and I do in secret. He sees the hidden figures. <laughs> and I love when people actually see the needs and just fill them. One of the things that I love the most, I'm telling you, like this, it's, it's, it's like a love language that my staff can give me, and that is this, is when they see a need and they just take care of it. Like they don't, they don't even ask me about it. It's like they just take care of it. If they have a question, they can ask a question, but, but when they just take care of it, it's like, oh, man, that's so, Kasha and I, we love, we love walking in, it's like, we saw that, that was out of place, but someone just took care of it from the team, oh, man, that is awesome. Like, that's the greatest thing, because it's exhausting walking around a building like this and seeing all the needs, because that's how it is. I walk around this place all the time, and I look at this, like, oh, man, there's a light bulb that's out right up there, and I'm like, oh, there's, there's a few up in the balcony, oh, man. I'm sitting there going, man, those people over there are in the dark because there's no light over there, and then I find out that the reason why that light doesn't work is because a guy who was sitting over here said, God, if you're real, then turn that light out, so it's his fault. <laughs> it's his fault. But I love it when people see the needs. The next thing we learn from Ehud is this, is that he took inventory. Can I just challenge you to take inventory? What are the resources that God's entrusted you with? What, what is it that you have right now that God has given you? Listen, a lot of times the reason why we can't be the hidden figure is because we haven't taken inventory. We haven't looked at the resources. We don't, we don't have a good idea of our time. We don't have a good idea of, the, of the, the resources of money that God has given to us, the resources of our talents that God's. Take inventory of your lives. And so many times we don't prepare. And I, I was asking myself this question, why? Why do God's people not prepare? And I think it's because sometimes we say this, well, it's just too, it's just too hard or, or the work's just too much. 
Or we downplay ourselves and we downplay our talents. Or we underestimate our resources. We say, oh, I don't have that much resources anyways. Like God, God doesn't need that. So some of us are like, yeah, it's only $16 that they were asking to, you know, be a part of the challenge right there. They, they don't need that. Well, your 16 bucks or someone else's 16 bucks can actually make a huge difference. But so many times what happens is, is we look at things from our own resource side. And we forget things like Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 that says this, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Everything you and I need. God's going to take care of it. Psalms 81 verse 10 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Arguing with the Lord. No, I just, I can't. I don't talk well. I just don't. And once again, he's being reminded. Listen, just open your mouth. I'll fill it. Take inventory of what you have. Paul reminds us that our weakness um, in God is actually made perfect. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? In weakness. So it's not about how much resources you have, how much talent you have. It, it actually has to do with how much weakness you have. Well, man, I got that. So his grace is sufficient. And his power is made perfect in my weakness. So therefore, Paul reminds us, he says, I will boast all the more gladly in what? My weakness. So the power of Christ may do what? Rest upon me. When you and I think we have it all together, that's normally when things go awry. And you know what? A lot of the heroes of faith are those whose stories are about people who thought they had it all together and then made really dumb choices. And in the midst of those really dumb choices, they became public choices that actually affected everyone else around them. It is God using constantly the hidden figures, those who say, God, if you'll use my weakness, if you'll use that and your power makes that complete, then I know I can do all things. Jesus tells his disciples something that's after he's cursed the fig tree. And he cursed the fig tree because it wasn't producing figs. He's like, it's a fig tree, it's supposed to produce figs. You're a Christian, you're supposed to produce certain things, certain fruits in your life. They're called the fruits of the Spirit. If you don't know what those are, Google them later when you go home. Just talk to Siri. Siri, what are the fruits of the Spirit? And she'll pull up the fruits of the Spirit and she'll tell them to you, okay? I love Siri. She's the greatest thing ever. But this is what it says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 22. It says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have what? Faith. The next thing is this, is create a plan. This week we had three days of prayer and fasting, and it was a wonderful, wonderful time. But you know what? It took some planning. I decided to do a six-day fast uh, for spiritual reasons, for physical reasons, for mental reasons, I mean everything. And I'm telling you, it was the best thing for me. Kasha and I yesterday were driving to Ann Arbor to see someone in the church who was sick in the hospital. And, and uh, as we were driving there, I was just like, man, I just feel like a million bucks right now, babe. And we hadn't even been eating. Like, it was like, it was crazy. But it was like, man, by the end of that six-day fast, water only, I'm not saying that because it's like, oh, look at me. I'm not saying it for that. I'm just telling you, there is something that happens when we deny our flesh, when we create a plan, and we say, God, I'm going to put you first in my life. These next three days, I'm going to do it. Jesus tells us this in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not 
First, sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Why would, why would that happen? Because he didn't plan. The psalmist says it this way. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. Proverbs speaks of the importance of plans. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So what is God calling us to do? He's calling us to create a plan. The next thing is this, is he's calling us to persuade others. Paul shares it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what are we is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are called to persuade others to follow after Christ. We're called to share. We're called to lead. We're called to see the needs of those who are around us. What are the needs that are around us that you are being called to persuade others? You have influence in your circles, and you can persuade others to follow after Christ or to not. Do you, know, do you know one thing? This is a great example. You, you hold two things in your hand every time you hear a bit of gossip. You hold either gasoline in one hand or water in the other. And when gossip comes to you, which it's one of the things the church always struggles with. It's not just Bethany. The church in general struggles with gossip. And it's something we just need to repent of. And we just need to say, that is not, I am not going to be a gossiper. Because you know gossip is a sin. You know what else is a sin? homosexuality. You know what else is a sin? Having an affair. So if you think you are holy and righteous and you gossip, it's interesting because I saw Pastor Scott right out of the corner of my eye all of a sudden because you're right here. <laughs> but if you, if you do that, can I just tell you, it's sin is sin. So don't look down at someone else. Oh man, they're sleeping around having an affair. Well, you're gossiping. It's the same thing. Pastor Brian, don't be so harsh. I'm not being harsh. That's what the scriptures talk about. Sin is sin. We make different levels of sin, not God. He sees sin all the same. He came to deliver us from sin. We need to persuade others. And the last is this. You just got to pursue your purpose. Pursue your purpose. Psalms 20 verse 4, the purpose of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. Proverbs 16 says this, verse 3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're reminded in 1 Peter chapter 2 that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into this marvelous light. You and I have been chosen by God. Are you going after your purpose? Are you pursuing it? I want us to do this all across this room. If you could close your eyes for a moment. Father, we recognize that your presence is here in this place. 
recognize that you've been moving. You've been speaking. God, you delivered this word to my heart, God, for such a time as this. God, that we're to see the needs that are around us. God, that in seeing those needs, Lord, that we would take inventory. God, that we would create a plan, that we would persuade others, that, that we would pursue our purpose. For you have a purpose for each and every one of us. Father, I pray over all the hidden figures in this room. Maybe even the, some of those who have been doubting, does God really use me? No, he does. It's the hidden figures who God uses greatly. I've asked you to bow your heads and close your eyes because maybe today you're in this room today and you need encouragement from the Lord because you've been playing a hidden figure role and you've been struggling with that. You've been struggling with being behind the scenes because in your mind you've said, I want to be like the hero of faith. But today you've recognized that you are more of a hidden figure and that's exactly who God has called you to be and there's great things that come with that. And I just want to pray over you right now that God would encourage you, that he would strengthen you, that you would fulfill that role as a hidden figure. And so if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Brian, I know I'm one of those hidden figures. And I've been struggling a little bit here lately and I need some encouragement, I need some strength from the Lord. I'm just going to ask you just real quickly, just, just to raise your hand real quick, just to say, that's me, Pastor Brian. I see the hands around the room. Come on, it's okay. Father, you see every hand that's raised right now, God. And it's just people who are saying, man, I've just been struggling being a hidden figure. I pray, God, that today, God, you would strengthen them and that today you would encourage them. God, that even today as they took that step of just simple acknowledgement, saying, that's me, I'm in that role, I'm in this spot right now. I pray, God, that you would look down from heaven right now and, God, you would impart into them such joy, such peace, such just just purpose, God, that would be instilled inside of them. God, that when they see needs around them, God, they would, they would go after those needs. They would take care of those needs. God, that they would take inventory of the resources that you've given them in their life and they would realize, God, that you've given them everything they need. And God, I pray that you'd help them to create the plans of, of how to accomplish the things that you've called them to. And God, I pray that you would help them to persuade others, to encourage others. Come on, come, come, be a part of what God's doing here. Lord, I pray that you would help them to pursue their purpose. For God, you have a plan and you have a purpose for each and every one of them in their lives. God, we thank you that your encouragement is coming upon those this morning who are some of the hidden figures throughout our church. In Jesus' name.